Well, I'm nervous. Because a lot of you know a whole lot more about this than I do. My wife spoils me rotten. I'm telling you, she does. I do not know how to cook a thing. Well, I can make grilled cheese sandwiches. I do make a pretty good grilled cheese sandwiches. I can make uh, Cheerios. I, I do well at that. And if my wife leaves me instructions, I can warm something up in the microwave. I'm pretty helpless in the kitchen. I, I do love good cooking, though. I like to eat other people's good cooking, and that's kind of like a, a, a cool thing. But I really know nothing about, I'm, I'm telling you, diners, drive-ins, and dives. I, it's, it's like this whole new world for me. It really started about a year and a half ago where, or when Aaron Smith was in the hospital having his spleen taken out. And he's one of the biggest guys in our church. I mean, he's just big. He's just huge. And there's another guy called Larry Kahn in our church, and they call him Biggin because he's like big and huge. And so I go to visit Aaron in the hospital, and I see these two huge guys. Aaron's in that little mini skirt, you know, with the split in the back, you know, sitting on the bed. And Biggin is sitting there, and they're talking. I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, it's great. We're going to talk sports, a little baseball, football. And I don't remember what season it was in, but it's going to be great. We're going to have this awesome time together. And so I walked in there and found out those guys were exchanging recipes. <laughs> I looked at them and I said, does your mamas know y'all are doing this, you know? Just didn't write, you know? And uh, come to find out, I'm the one that's not right. You guys have been into this Food Channel thing, man, a whole lot longer. I'm telling you, I am just like food challenge. You know, Wanda, we're going to give away some, some stuff after each service, and you can just come up and see one, and she'll do a little simple draw thing. If you're interested in some Pamper Shep stuff. And she got stuff, and is like, she gave me this and, and just wanted me to figure out what it was. And I go, I don't know what it is. I can't eat soup with it, you know. And it's like mix. It's mix and mash, I think is what it's called. It's really cool. I don't know what you do with it. I guess you mix something up and you mash. It's a true story. When I was in high school, I took a shop class, which is funny in itself. But I took shop class, and they took all the guys for two weeks out of shop and put us in home ec. I don't think they do this anymore. And then they took the home ec girls, and they put them in shop. Well, the first thing that they did is on lunch trays, they had 50, they had 50 um, kitchen utensils, 50 kitchen utensils. She just wanted to get a feel for who knew what in the kitchen. I knew two out of the 50, you know. My mama spoiled me rotten. My wife spoils me rotten. I, you mix and mash, man. I, here's a mix and chop. I, I don't get it. I don't know. But you guys do. So it's going to have, we're going to have fun with this. Uh, the thing, I, even though I don't know how to cook, I know food connects. Dude, I know we all connect with food. Doesn't today just scream chicken tortilla soup, you know? I mean, then this is like chili written all, all over it. Food connects. It connects us with our families. I'm telling you, and I've told you before, my mom and dad, I'm telling you, Monday night, mom fixed the same thing. Tuesday night, mom fixed the same thing. Wednesday night was leftovers because we had to go to church and I uh, had to get to prayer meeting. Thursday night was the same thing. Friday night was salmon and, and fried taters, cornbread. My dad would crumple up the cornbread and put it in the, put it in the milk. Saturday morning was uh, gravy, eggs, and biscuits and fried apples. Can I get an amen? And uh, I'm telling you, it was the Sunday was, uh, was uh, roast and potatoes and carrots. Sometimes if dad was in a good mood, we'd get us some church's fried chicken 
on the way home from church. And I'm telling you, my life was kind of consistent around food. I did not know people what a casserole was till I married my wife. And I learned one thing before I got married, never compare your wife's cooking to your mama's cooking. I learned that thing real quick. And so I really fought the temptation of looking at that casserole and going, woman, what is that was this, you know? <laughs> I never seen it. But food connects. It turns strangers into friends. Connects people around the world. Our relationship to food is full of fascinations. TV chefs now have become celebrities and cookbooks regularly appear on the bestseller list. It's amazing. Yet, even though we have all of this, we cook less than ever before. I don't get it, you know? We love watching these people and then finding the restaurant and going out and eating there, you know? We spend over $50 billion a year dieting. You know, it's like 50 billion years to correct food gone wild in our, our lives kind of thing. American Christians spend more on dieting than they do on giving to world missions, which is a sad indictment and a sad fact. You know, when great things happen, we celebrate it with food, right? Birthdays, you eat cake. <laughs> Some of you hadn't had a birthday cake in a while out there, but that's all right. You know, you have an anniversary, you take your spouse out for a... You know, guys just were looking at me going, cake? I don't know. I forgot. We just, your kids do well at a soccer game or a baseball game or a football game. Man, we're all about getting ice cream on the way home. You know what I mean? We just, we celebrate stuff with food, you know? It's great. Thanksgiving, we put a big old turkey out on the table and mashed potatoes and half-runner green beans. And, man, I could go on and on. You know, the, the, the thing about it is we celebrate the good stuff. But, man, if something bad happens in our life, dude, you know where we go? We go to the couch with a bowl of ice cream and just sit there and, you know, and just console ourselves with ice cream. Food is more than just fuel. Nigel Slater, who's a widely respected food critic, describes how as a boy, he once described his mother kisses and said they were like marshmallows. Isn't that cool? Food is more than fuel. Nigel's mom died at the age of nine. He was nine. And his dad, every night until he left home or he got old enough, would put a marshmallow on the nightstand by his bed. You see, there's more to food than food, isn't it? Man, I could say, to say your favorite meal, that immediately smell, aroma and all pops in your mind. Favorite dessert, key lime pie. Ooh, that is good stuff. Food. So today we start a new sermon series entitled Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I, sounds familiar to a lot of you because you know it a whole lot better than I do. Would you complete this sentence for me? The Son of Man, that's Jesus, came. The Son of Man, Jesus, came. There's three places in the New Testament that finish the sentence. We're told that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others. We find that the Son of Man came to seek and to save, Luke 19.10, that which is lost. 
And we find in Luke also that Jesus came eating and drinking. Dude, Jesus, if there was a partay going on, Jesus was there. I mean, he would have made a great Baptist, man. He was eating food all the time. He was either, he was either, uh, his mission strategy was have a long meal, go in the evenings, tell them about God's love, disciple them, coach them, train them, grill some fish, share some bread, tell the story of what God's doing in the world, man. But it was always over a meal. In Luke's gospel, it is full of meals. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats with a tax collector. In Matthew and Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at Simon's house during a meal. In Luke 9, he feeds 5,000. In Luke 10, he eats in the home of Mary and Martha. By the way, I think in Luke 9, he feeds 5,000, not eats 5,000. In Luke 14, Jesus is a, has a meal when he urges people to invite poor to their meals and not their friends. Man, that's a great idea, isn't it? Luke 9.10, he invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. So I thought I would start being more like Jesus as your pastor. So I think during this food series, I'm just going to come up to you and say, hey, I'm coming to your house today for dinner, you know? Luke 19 stuff. Luke 22, it's the Last Supper. And Luke chapter 24, Jesus finds two disciples walking on the road of Emmaus. Emmaus, they are totally depressed because they think that Jesus is still in the grave and there is no resurrection. And so Jesus, over dinner and as they walk in the way, starts in the Old Testament, shows how he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And he indeed is the crucified, risen, and resurrected Lord. See, the fact of the matter is, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. So when Jesus ate a meal with someone in the gospel of Luke, you can pretty well guarantee that something bigger is going on. It's not about the lentil soup, and it's not about the unleavened bread. Something bigger is going on whenever you read about Jesus and the meal. For Jesus, it was an opportunity to share life, to share truth, to share community with them. So let's go to... Luke chapter 5, let's go to meal. It's a kind of a cool story, and we're going to start. I'm going to read the entire text, and then we'll come back and kind of look at it verse by verse. Luke chapter 5, starting verse 27. And after this, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, by the way, if you have a different translation, it says Matthew, don't get shook up. Almost everybody in the Roman Empire had two different names. They would have a Roman name, which in Matthew's case was Matthew, and they would have a name from their own country, which was Levi. He was a Jew. He's a Hebrew. So he would, he would have two kind of accepted or legal names. Levi, his Hebrew name, Jewish name. And then Matthew, his Roman name. And so a man named Levi, he was at work collecting taxes. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up. He left everything and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to the sect, complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, this was a charge that would follow Jesus all the way to his, to his trials in front of Ananias and Caiaphas, and ultimately Pilate, that he eats and that he drinks with sinners. And Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but the sinners to repentance. Man, all of this happened at a party with a great, great, huge meal. Verse 27 says, Jesus went out, preferably probably from the city that he was in, and he went out and he saw a man named Levi at work collecting taxes. He was sitting in a tax booth. Now, when we talk about taxes, don't think April 15th IRS kind of taxes. That's not it at all. These guys, tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, were subcontracted out by the Roman Empire. And as long as they got their quota, anything they charged in excess was fine. And so tax collectors would set up their tent with an open front, little table, some cushions, or a seat in it. It would have their books and a money changer and a money pouch. And if you were walking down the road, it's more like a toll booth, you know, on an interstate. If you were walking down, he would just summon you and say, come on over here. Today you owe this month. He said, well, now, wait a minute. I paid that much yesterday. Doesn't matter. That was yesterday. Today is a new day. And a tax collector had the authority of Rome behind them. And they were considered traitors by the Jews. Not only were they considered traitors by the Jews, but the Jews hated tax collectors. Because the Jews felt that since they, they saw that it was God in Israel, and they felt like the tax collectors had sold out God and sold out Israel by working for Rome and collecting money for the empire instead of handling money for the kingdom of God. And so if you were a tax collector, buddy, you were wealthy. Dude, you had one of the best paid jobs in Palestine. You had the nicest house. You wore the finest clothes. You ate the best food because you had money. But you didn't have much else because you were considered scum of the earth. Matter of fact, you were lumped in with, uh, with the dregs of society, crooks and prostitutes. That's where kind of tax collectors fell in that day. And so when Jesus walked by, he went to a guy that everybody wanted to avoid. He went up to the tax collector. Isn't it cool that Jesus goes up to people that everybody else ignores? That Jesus doesn't just go to those who are high bred and, and have high society and high calorie, but Jesus goes to folks that everybody else hates. The folks who are the down and out is the folks whose lives are, are messed up, whose priorities are wrong. And he goes to him and he simply says, come, follow me. I like the King James, really, it's just kind of one big long word in the Greek, but he says, follow me. I don't know if they had a discussion. I don't know if he preached a sermon. I don't know if they had a Q&A session. I don't know. All I know is that when the bottom line happened, he said, follow me, and he did. He walked away from everything and went with him. Now, I'm telling you there's something heroic in this because Peter, James, and John, and most of the other fisher, uh, disciples were fishermen. When they left their boats, they could have gone back, and certainly Peter, we think, was part owner of, a, of the company, and so certainly they had the, ship, the, the fishing and the shipping and, and the boats to fall back on if this whole Jesus thing didn't work out. But Matthew... Matthew? You see, when you walk away from Rome, when you walk away from being a tax collector, 
you don't get that job back. Now Rome doesn't trust you. Israel doesn't trust you. The Romans don't trust you. The Israelites don't trust you. Nobody trusts you. I'm telling you, when he got up and walked away from that tax booth, man, he crossed the line and there was absolutely no turning back. See, the problem is God calls us to cross that line all the time. We don't like crossing that line because it's a hard line. So I want you to understand, Matthew understood the deal here. Stay in the tax booth. He gets a lot of money. He lives life high on a hog. He wears the finest clothes, eats the best. If he had any family, they're well taken care of. He walks away from the booth. He loses his job. He loses employment. He loses his income. And probably Rome comes after him. And yet Jesus said, follow me. Please don't be misunderstood and don't, under, don't misunderstand the text to think that Jesus doesn't call anybody simply by saying, follow me anymore. He does. The problem is, is when Jesus says, follow me, most of us, we just kind of want to drag our stuff with him. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I'm going to take my tent booth. Yeah, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to take my comfort. I'm going to take... No, he left everything everything and he went with him left it all man he crossed the line for literally there was no retreat there was no turning back have you crossed that line God been dealing with your heart and your life much like what Byron shared when he sang the song follow me he called you to cross the line to, to total commitment, total dependence, to, to go where he wants you to go, to do what he wants you to do, and, and, and you're just going, yeah, Lord, I'm going. I'll go with you, yeah, but I'm going to take some stuff that makes me feel good. I love Matthew because he said, and he did it. He walked away from everything, and he went with him, and no doubt he'd heard about Jesus. He might have even collected tax money from his mother Mary, maybe his half-brother James, and maybe some of his other half-brothers that were certainly in the area at that time. He probably had heard about Jesus, probably had, had not even seen a miracle maybe, certainly had heard about them and heard about his teaching. He knew who Jesus was. And can you imagine when Jesus walked up to that tax booth that day? And there he is, Jesus is just right there. You ever been in church where the Spirit of God was so strong you knew I mean, you knew your wife, fellas, had sent me the email stuff telling, you, telling me how bad you were this week so I could preach to you, you know? It's just like God was just all over you in the service. You just knew it. And God just looked right through your, your, your clothes and right through your heart to right into your very soul. I can imagine Matthew, man, he's wrapping up the end of the day and he's checking his books and he's figuring out if the coins all work up and his take and, and Romans... And Rome's tax, and all of a sudden, he just kind of feels it. It's that presence. He didn't have to look up. Because it was Jesus. Now, honestly, some of us have been in church so long, we forgot what it was like to come to church. Remember the first time you came to church? And you looked around at everybody else? And they looked like they had it all together. And you realize you came and you were so messed up. By the way, if today is your first service with us, we are so glad you're here. 
I want you to look around. Everybody in this room is messed up. Some are more messed up than others, but everybody here is messed up. And instead of condemnation, listen, get this, instead of judgment, instead of a snide remark, instead of sarcasm and ridicule, he just said, follow me. There was absolutely no condemnation of Matthew. In fact, Jesus Christ would later become Matthew's condemnation on a cross where there he would shed his blood and die for sins, for Matthew's sins and the sins of the whole world. So he left everything and he followed him. And then look what he did. The next thing he did, man, is he, he had a party. He, with no regrets... And no turning back from this life-changing decision. He wanted everybody to know this Jesus that now lived in his heart. So he had a large dinner in his large home for Jesus. Everybody was there. I mean, everybody was there. Now, the mayor wasn't there, but everybody was there. Who was that? Everybody. Taxmen, traitors, and other disreputable characters as guests of Matthew at the dinner. That is a great line, other disreputable characters. And that's great, other disreputable characters. Best I could study that out this week, that means that there in that crowd was prostitutes. When's the last time you had a prostitute over for dinner? Crooks. Scum of the earth. That is a Greek translation. Soiled types. Felons. I'm telling you, if, if you wanted the scum of the earth type, man, they were all there that night at Matthew's party. And where was Jesus? Dude, he was right in the middle of the party. Yeah, isn't that cool? You know, somewhere we got this notion, and I, and I understand, but, but somehow we thought that it was a spiritual thing to stay away from unspiritual people. But the most spiritual man that ever lived, Jesus, is right in the middle of the most unspiritual people alive at that time in that area. They were all there, disreputable characters, everyone. They were guests of Matthew, a traitor, a felon, hated by the Jews, now sought out probably by Rome, and they were all there. And they're having a party. And Jesus is right in the middle of them. He's right in the middle of their messed up lives and their messed up worlds. He's getting his hands messy with all the messy stuff that's going on in their life. Anthropologist Mary Douglas showed that in all cultures, all cultures, meals represent boundaries and markers. Meals make the, the boundaries between different levels of intimacy and different levels of, of friendships. Jewish food laws not only symbolized cultural boundaries, but they also created them. It wasn't easy for Jews to eat with Gentiles, and it still isn't easy today. When the prophet Isaiah would talk about the coming kingdom of God, he would talk about it in terms of a banquet, in terms of a great feast, in terms of a great dinner, in terms, our day, of a great party. 
And in describing who's going to be at that party, he said all peoples, all nations, all faces, and all the earth. But in the years before Jesus, the, the Gentiles were conveniently dropped off the guest list of the Jewish people for the coming great banquet in heaven. So what's the first thing Matthew does after becoming a believer in Jesus Christ? He has a Matthew party. A Matthew party is where you have unsaved people over so you can introduce them to Jesus. Man, not only did he just have faith, man, he had bold faith. He had evangelistic faith. He had arms wide open faith, man. He had sharing faith. Dude, when he followed Jesus and left everything, there was a dramatic life change that happened in his life. Matthew calls them to gather for the party and he wants to share this new life with Christ. He owned this nice big home. He had the resources to put on the feast, so he throws a party to introduce all he knows to Jesus. But now there's a problem in the passage. The problem isn't the party. The problem is the guest in the party. See, there's this, there's this group of unsafe folk. Now, now let, let's just kind of make sure we understand the groups of people that were in Matthew's house. They're unsafe folks. Unsafe folks who were prostitutes, traders, and tax collectors. Those disreputable characters. People with messed up lives. And then there were unsafe folks on this end who were the Pharisees. They were the self-righteous. They were the morally respected people of the day. But they were just as lost as the traders and the prostitutes. And they stood on the outside going, what? He's eating with sinners? Matter of fact, if you look at the next verse in verse 30, man, it just kind of leads you to that. The Pharisees and their religion scholars, well, that's impressive, came to his disciples greatly offended. And they said, what's he doing? Eating and drinking with sinners. Who does Jesus think he is? Eating and drinking with sinners. Basically what they're saying is, listen, we're better than those people. And why aren't we people in there instead of those people? Because we know that God doesn't care about those people. I want you to understand, you can be a morally good person and, just be, and be just as lost in this group as this group was lost at the party. Because salvation isn't dependent on how good you are. Salvation is dependent on have you accepted the call of God to leave everything and follow him. See, they weren't following Christ. They were following their own selves. And this group wasn't following Christ. They were following their own selves. Both were equally just as lost. I am talking, I am sure, to a man or a woman here today. You might have gone to church most of your life, if not all your life. You've been a good mom. You've been a good dad. You've been a good parent. You've been a good grandparent. I mean, you've been a good person anytime March of Dimes calls. You give stuff, Purple Heart. You give your old clothes away. I mean, you are just a good person. And your neighbors look at you and they go, good person family looks at you oh man he is a good person but I want you to know at the party you still just is lost and on the outside is the tax collectors the scum in the earth the prostitutes and the sinners over here because the core issue isn't how good you are or how bad you are. The core issue is, will you follow Jesus? When you hear the voice of God in your heart and he says, follow me, will you? That line in verse 28 is awesome, and he did. 
Jesus said, follow me, and he did. Jesus said, follow me to the Pharisees, and they didn't. Jesus would say, follow me to the, to the prostitutes and the tax collectors, and many of them, we believe that, and I did. But the problem wasn't the party. It was who was invited. Look, look what he's doing. He's eating and drinking with crooks and sinners. By the way, it's interesting that Matthew calls them other guests. The Pharisees call them sinners. Isn't that interesting? Don't you, can't you just feel their judgmental, arrogant pride in their heart, thinking that we are so much better than them. And basically, they were saying, we are entitled to be in the party. We are Pharisees. Baby, we are the big cheese in town. We are invited. We, we are entitled to be at the party. Listen, you are entitled to nothing. You are entitled to nothing. Every person in here deserves an eternity in hell because of what our sins did to the Son of God. They, we, our sins crucified him to a cross. And yet he lovingly forgives us of our sins. He became our condemnation, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, so that we could go to the ultimate party in heaven forever and ever and ever. I want you to get it. You and I are not entitled to anything. That's what grace is all about. Grace is you don't earn. You are not entitled to anything. But because I love you, I will freely give it away if you will just follow me. Now, see, a lot of people got this whole thing about getting saved wrong. We think that getting saved is just kneeling down at an altar and saying a simple prayer, and you hoo I got fire insurance, and I can go live any way I want to live. That is a gross misunderstanding of what salvation is. It is about embracing Christ in your heart, yes, but it is also about following him. Man, the next verse, verse 31, Jesus heard about it and he spoke up. He says, who needs a doctor, the healthier, the sick? See, what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to do was act like a doctor who didn't want to take care of sick people. Would you go to a doctor who didn't spend his time taking care of sick people? Why no? I guarantee you, somebody tells you you got a clogged artery, you are on the internet trying to find out, you are calling your friend, you're calling your friend's daddy, you're calling somebody who knows somebody who can tell you who the best doctor in the business is because that's the guy you want to go to. You don't want to go to the guy who never does anything. You want to go to the guy who's the best. So who needs the doctor, the healthy or the sick? Here's, here's the funny thing. They thought they were healthy. They knew they were sick. And Jesus came for both groups. And then he said this in verse 32. He said, I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. It's a bit of a paraphrase. He says, I give an invitation to a changed life, changed on the inside and out. Matthew was changed on the inside, and then he threw a party so everybody could see it on the outside. I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. I'm here sharing, and I want you to know Christ as your Savior. See, Jesus didn't come to leave people in their sins. He came to call sinners to repentance, and they responded to Christ's invitations. For the Pharisees, they considered good moral people and if you're here and you're, you can, you're considered a good moral 
people, you're in that group. I'm telling you, because you're respectable, because you're respected, it may be harder for you to follow Christ than it is the prostitute and the traitor and the tax collector. Because you think you're right over there. They knew they were wrong over there. They knew they needed grace and a change of life. They knew they were on the outside wanting to be in. They were, thought they were on the inside wondering why they were on the outside. He says, I give you an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. You talk about a party, you talk about a party. One day when God says time will be no more and the angels hold back the four winds on the four corners of the, of, of the world and the Lord Jesus will descend with a shout, with a trumpet and the dead in Christ shall rise and he comes back. I'm telling you, there is going to be a party in heaven. For all of us who were on the outside because of our sins, but because we followed Jesus and gave him our heart and life and we followed him, he placed us inside the family of God. He gave us an invitation to the greatest, eternal, everlasting party that will ever happen on streets of gold, inside walls of jasper, through gates of pearl. I can't describe it all to you. I'm just telling you, it is going to be a great time. Don't be on the outside. He came to invite you to be a part of what he's doing. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? This morning, it's a real simple message. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to follow him. If you're here today, he says, follow me. That's the challenge. Follow me. He says to you, he says to me, follow me. You're on the outside looking in. He said, no, follow me and let me in on the inside of your heart. Accept his invitation to go to the greatest party ever in heaven when you die so that you don't go to hell, but you go to heaven and live with him forever and ever. Not only will your eternity be changed, but boy, your time on this earth from here forward will be changed. So whether you're a good, respectable person or whether you're one of those other disreputable characters, whether you look like your life has got it all together or whether you know your life is all messed up. Man, here's the deal. Jesus Christ came to save you. And today he's inviting you to the party. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. I don't know where he's going to lead you, but he says, follow me. And wherever he leads you, it'll be great because Jesus will be there. So you follow him. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, why don't right there where you sit, why don't right now you realize you're on the outside looking in and you want Jesus to be on the inside of your heart? So right there where you sit, why don't you pray this simple prayer in your heart? Asking Jesus to come into your life. Telling him today that you're going to leave everything and you're going to follow him. You're going to do what's right. You are going to follow him. Dear Jesus, say this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, I want to go to heaven. Man, I want to go to the party. And I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins that have separated us. And from this day forward, I will 
follow you. Thank you for saving me. Now, nobody's looking around, not anybody in the back, ushers, praise team, nobody but me. I wonder, would you be honest, would you take the first step? Matthew got up and he followed Jesus. Man, why don't right now where you sit, would you take the first step and just let me know that you prayed the prayer, that you heard God's call, you accepted his invitation, you've given him your heart, you've given him your life today. Why don't right there where you sit, would you just raise your hand, let me know? We had several in the first service. I'm not going to embarrass you, but man, I'd love to help you in your walk of faith. God bless you. Thank you so much. That is so exciting to me. Thank you. Someone else, pastor, I prayed that prayer. God bless you. Thank you so much. Follow him. Follow him. Anybody else before we pray? Now, I want you to look this way. There's a guy over here. His name is Mark. Mark, wave your hand. Mark and I have been talking about starting a small group for people who have just come to faith in Christ. We're not quite sure how that's looking, but it's doing. And if you accepted Christ today, you accepted his invitation, this goofy guy in shorts is going to stand right up here and just come and tell him, Say, I gave my heart to Jesus. Help me plug in. And he will. I'll hang around and would love to talk with you. The big thing is now that you've accepted Christ, do what Matthew did, man. Start telling people. Start telling people. And for those of us who know Christ, man, why don't we have a Matthew party? Why don't we have a dinner at our house? Why don't we have a cookout at our house? Why don't we have something at our house where we just invite folks in for the purpose of loving on them and loving them in Jesus' name and letting them see the light of Christ's love in us and letting them know this person that we love and we embrace and we've given our lives to. It's called a Matthew party. Have one. Make a good meal. Invite me over. Don't tell them the preacher's coming. That'll blur away everything. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Would you stand to your feet? Mark's going to hang up here. Father, my prayer is, my prayer is that this day, Lord, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for those this morning. Thank you for those this morning who said, I